0: Todd's Road Grace Church would like to invite you to listen to a sermon by our pastor, Todd Nybert. We are located at 4137 Todd's Road, two miles outside of Manowar Boulevard. Sunday services are at 1030 a.m. and 6 p.m. Bible study is at 945 a.m. Wednesday services are at 7 p.m. Nursery is provided for all services. For more information, visit our website at toddsroadgracechurch.com. Now here's our pastor, Todd Nybert. I've entitled the message for this morning, The Sign of Christ's Authority. Now, let me give you the setting of this story. We read in verse 13, and the Jews, John chapter 2, verse 13, and the Jews' Passover was at hand. Uh, John does not call it the Lord's Passover. He calls it the Jews' Passover because the Jews had prostituted the meaning of the Passover and stripped it of its meaning. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and Changers of money sitting. Now, these were men who made profit on religion. These were men who had uh, thought we can make worship more accessible, more convenient, easier. People won't have to bring their sacrifices to Jerusalem. We can sell them there and we'll make a profit as well. And the uh, atonement half shekel of silver that they don't have, we'll sell them those, and we will make a profit from that. And they didn't think of what they were doing as being sinful. They thought they were making religion more accessible and easier. It kind of reminds me of uh, seeker-sensitive religion in our day, make things easier, make things more accessible. And we read in verse 15, and when he, the Lord Jesus had made a scourge of small cords. Now the Lord walked into the temple, saw this, and not in a fit of rage or anger, he thoughtfully made a whip to drive these people out of the temple. And when he made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, And overthrew the tables. Now can you imagine this scene? And he said unto them that sold doves. Take these things hence. Make not my father's house. An house of merchandise. A house of profit. A house of gain. And his disciples remembered that it was written. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews, and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing thou doest these things? What gives you the right to come into the temple with a whip? Who gave you the authority to come into this temple and drive these people out? Who do you think you are? Give us a sign that will prove to us that you have the authority to do this. And look at the sign the Lord gives. He said in verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. He gives them the sign of the resurrection. Now, they didn't know that what he, is what he was doing. They looked at the temple, the physical temple made of stone, and said, this temple was 46 years in raising. And you say you'll tear it down and build it up in three days? And the Lord didn't clarify himself to them at this time. He didn't say, well, that's not what I meant. Let me explain what I meant. This desire for a sign. Show us a sign it will prove you have the authority to come into this temple and drive the money changers out and the animals out. We're trying to make worship more accessible, more easy. Who gave you the authority to do this? Give us a sign. Now, the reason they asked for a sign is they saw no evil in what they were doing. It was very evil, but they didn't see it. And they said, Give us a sign that proves you have the authority to make these demands on us. Now, what was going on was obviously wrong. They just didn't see it, nor did they want to face its implications. Now, this thing of a sign, the Lord said, A wicked and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Give us a sign. What if I stole your wallet? And you didn't know who had it, and finally you found out that it was me who stole it. And you would come up to me and confront me and say, give me back my wallet, that's my wallet. You stole it from me. Now, what if I replied, give me a sign that shows you have the authority to ask me to do this? Well, that'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? No sign is needed, and that is how ridiculous this is that they ask for a sign questioning the Lord's authority. The only reason they wanted this sign was because of their unbelief. Verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, destroy this temple. Here's his sign, the sign of the resurrection. Destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and six years was at this temple in building and would thou rear it up? In three days, you say they did not understand what he was saying. They thought he was talking about knocking down that temple and rearing it back up in three days, and they thought that's impossible. That's delusional if you think you can believe that. That doesn't tell us anything. They had no understanding what he was talking about. But John tells us, but he spake of the temple of his body. He was talking about his life, his death. His burial and his resurrection. He spake of the temple of his body, verse 22, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now the disciples didn't even know what he was talking about then. They understood after the resurrection, but before the resurrection, at this time when he said this to the Pharisees, they did not understand what he was saying. But after he was risen from the dead, it says they believed the scripture and the words which Jesus had spoken. They said, now I see. And they believed every word which he said, and it was given equal authority as scripture. When he spake, It's the scripture speaking. Every word he said was inerrant. Every word he said was perfect. I love it when they said, after hearing him preach the Sermon on the Mount, it says that they were astonished at his doctrine, for he spake as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now I want you to listen to this statement real carefully. The only way the Bible can be understood is in light of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. There is no scripture understood apart from understanding the meaning of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. If we don't look at everything in light of Jesus Christ and him crucified, we've missed the whole meaning. Now, let me show you an example of this in Matthew or Mark chapter 12. This is when the Sadducees denied the resurrection and they gave a story that they thought would entrap the Lord and cause him to see his inconsistencies in believing the resurrection. So they thought And they told the story of a woman who her husband died. She had no children. And under the law, she was to be given to his brother for him to raise up seed unto her. And he died also. And she still had no children. And this happened with seven different brothers. She was wife to all seven brothers. And they all died. And she had no children. And then they asked the Lord this question. In the resurrection... Whose wife shall she be? For all seven had her. Oh, they thought they had the Lord entrapped. Now listen to our Lord's answer. Verse 24 of Mark chapter 12. And Jesus answering said unto them, Do ye not therefore err? Because you know not the Scriptures, neither the power of God. Now if you're going to err, if I'm going to err, here's where we'll err. We don't understand the scriptures and we don't understand the power of God. Verse 25, for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. There will not be the family union as we know it here, uh, there they'll be as the angels of heaven, there won't, there won't be this family and that family. There's one family, the family of God, the bride of Christ. Verse 26, and as touching the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush, now he speaks of when God spoke to Moses from the bush, the bush that burned and could not be consumed. I don't know how many hours Uh, Moses looked at it, but he saw this bush that burned and was never consumed. It kept burning. And this bush represents the Lord Jesus Christ. God spake from the bush. He's utterly independent. The bush didn't need the wood or the fire didn't need the wood, the energy of the wood to keep its flame going. Utterly independent. No needs. Christ is God independent. The Bush could not be consumed by the fire. This is the perfect humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he could not be consumed by the fire of God's wrath, but he consumed the wrath. Now, look what our Lord says. As touching the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, would you have heard that and thought, well, that's teaching the resurrection. I wouldn't have. But this shows how deep the scripture is. Look what the Lord says about this. Verse 27, He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Abraham lives before God. Isaac lives before God. These men have been spiritually resurrected and they're in God's presence even now. You remember when the Lord said to that thief, uh, Verily I say unto thee, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. He lived. He was raised from the dead spiritually in this life, and he lives before God. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore do greatly err. So we see even this passage is only understood in light of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I love the way he speaks. He says, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. He does not say, destroy this body and in three days God will raise it up. He doesn't say, destroy this body in three days and God the Father will raise it up. He doesn't say, destroy this body in three days and God the Holy Spirit will raise it up. Although God did raise him up and God the Holy Spirit was in uh, the agent of his resurrection. He says, destroy this body in three days. I will raise it up. Now, here is the sign of his authority. In John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, he said, no man takes my life from me. I'm not a victim. When they came to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was put to death, no man took his life from him. He was not a victim. You see, he was in control of everything. He was controlling everything that happened during the cross. It was his will being done. Acts 4, and 28 says of a, uh, of a truth against thy holy child, Jesus, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. His will was being done. No man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to raise it up. This commandment I received of my Father. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us at this time, here is the authority that I have. I have the power to raise myself from the dead. Now, there's only one who could do that. The God-man. Raised himself from the dead. Now we read in verse 22. When therefore he was, was risen from the dead. His disciples remembered. that He had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture. And the word which Jesus had said. Now when therefore he was risen from the dead. You know what that means? It means first of all he died. Jesus Christ died. To me, that's so mysterious. The God-man, he who is life. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The God-man died. How mysterious. Now, it's not mysterious when you or I die. We're weak. We're uh, just this side of death right now. God can take away our breath immediately. We're weak. We're sinful. We can't prevent death. There's no mystery in any man dying. Now, somebody may be thinking, what is the reason for death? Sin. By one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. That one man was Adam and death came to him because of Sin. Now, the reason Jesus Christ died was sin. Now, please listen to me carefully. God must punish sin. He's absolutely just. He must punish sin. For him to let one sin go unpunished would mean that he is unjust. Now, if someone murdered your child and they were caught and they were brought before the judge and the judge says, I'm a forgiving judge. I'm going to let this man go free. You would be outraged. You would be angry because this is not right. Justice has not been done. If God just let sinners go free without justice being satisfied, he would be an unjust judge he would not be a judge. We would even want a human court, more or less the court of heaven. Now, God is just. Sin must be punished by death. Now, when God sends a man to hell, and he does, there is a place called hell. It lasts forever. Why does it last forever? Because no satisfaction is made for that sin. Sin is an infinite evil. Sin is putting to death the Son of God. That's what we're guilty of. Killing Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Your problem goes a lot further. My problem goes a lot farther than wrong things we've done. We've been guilty of hating and murdering the Son of God. You say, but I wasn't born. You would have done it. That's the point. I would have done it. God sees what we would do. And really, we all uh, sinned in Adam. We all did the same thing. You would have done it. And God must punish that sin eternally. There's no satisfaction for it. If someone murdered your child and then came up and said, here's $10 million, will you be satisfied with that? No, no. The only thing that will satisfy me is if my child is brought back to life and justice is satisfied. Now, man can never satisfy God. The only one who can satisfy God is God. Man cannot satisfy. God cannot die. Now, here we have this quandary. Man cannot satisfy. That's why hell's eternal. God cannot die. The God-man did both. When he died, he satisfied the justice of God, that is why God raised him from the dead. He completely paid for those sins that he bore in his own body on the tree. He was resu- He was re- He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Complete satisfaction by what he did. That's what the resurrection of Christ is all about. What he accomplished. He bore those sins. He put them away. He actually died. He never went through the process of decay because he completely satisfied God by what he did. And he has been raised from the dead. Now, that is the sign I'm giving. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Now, the whole Bible is interpreted in light of this. The serpent bruising the seed of woman's heel, but the seed of woman, the Lord Jesus Christ, crushing his head, destroying him, is only understood in light of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Yes, the serpent bruised his heel on the cross, but he didn't realize it. He was having his head. Completely crushed on the cross. <laughs> you know, I love the scripture in Revelation 13. Christ is called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, listen to me. Before there was ever a sinner, there was a Savior. And before time began, He is the Lamb. Having been slain from the foundation of the world. God created the universe for his son to come and die as a sin bearing substitute for the glory of God and for the salvation of his people. This is God's eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus the Lord. But think about this. If he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the lamb raised from the foundation of the world. He didn't stay slain. No, he's the lamb raised from the foundation of the world. The entire scripture is only understood in that light. Now, in the sermon that was first preached, the first gospel message after the resurrection of Christ, it's found in Acts chapter two. It's called the, the uh, great message after Pentecost. We read where Peter says in verse 22, ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. I want you to know exactly who I'm talking about, the one who was born in Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Remember how they said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He did. He was born in Bethlehem, I realize, but he grew up in Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, Which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. He did what only God could do. Him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God. That's why he was delivered. God determined this. It was God's will for this to take place. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Uh, while it was God's sovereign purpose, that doesn't get man's responsibility off the hook. You, with wicked hands, have crucified and slain him whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. It was not possible that the Lord Jesus would stay dead. Why? Number one, because of who he is. He's the God man, he's the creator. He's the sovereign of the universe. He's God. He can't stay dead. Here's the second reason. Because he rendered complete satisfaction to God. All the sins that he died for were completely paid for and put away. Verse 25 For David speaketh concerning him. I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He's on my right hand that I should not be moved. He's quoting Psalm 16. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. This is Christ speaking. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he's both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. If you go into somewhere in the Middle East, you'll find a pile of dirt with the DNA of David in it. He wasn't raised from the dead the way the Lord Jesus Christ was. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection. Of Christ David knew exactly what he was saying he was speaking of the resurrection of Christ now let me give you four things real briefly in closing he said destroy this body and in three days I'll raise it up the resurrection of Christ number one this is God's eternal purpose. he's the lamb slain he's the lamb raised from the foundation of the world. Number two, this is the gospel. Salvation accomplished by what he did. Your sins are not forgiven. If they are forgiven, they're not forgiven because of anything you did, but because he was raised from the dead, having accomplished salvation. Number three, this is the object of our faith. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. Now this thing of believing that God raised him from the dead. Is more than just believing the fact of it. Understanding why he was raised from the dead. Because whatever it was he intended to do. He did. He accomplished. And he was raised from the dead. Because everybody he died for was justified. And my dear friends. I can't say this strong enough, this is the only ground of assurance. Why do I believe that God can accept me? One reason, that empty tomb. It doesn't have anything to do with my works. It's His work and His work only. Show us a sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. This is Todd Nyberg praying that God will be pleased to make himself known to you. That's our prayer. Amen. To receive a copy of the sermon you have just heard, send your request to todd.nybert at gmail.com or you may write or call the church at the information provided on the screen.